How to plan for NFBC drafts. The high-stakes Sharks are pushing up pitching this year, but should you? Matt Modica joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Not bad. Well, today we have a uh, we finally have a Met fan on uh, on the line here. Uh, it's nice to talk to one. Um, well, when's the last Met, Met fan that we had, Ruven, on the show? Um, I don't recall because usually most people hate the Mets. I don't know. Yeah, I think we had well, we had Wayne Randazzo uh, on on the show, but he he works for the Mets, right? Yeah, that, that doesn't uh, count. That doesn't, doesn't count. exactly count. Uh, well, anyways, uh, the Met fan that we're talking about is none other than NFBC great Matt Modica. What's going on, Matty Mo? Uh, it's just a nice Monday night. Happy to be on. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for coming on. And uh, we want to pick your brain on a couple of things. The NFBC we'll talk about, obviously, and uh, a little bit of our outfield preview. So uh, get set for that. Uh, we jump things. We we jump to things right away here on the show, and we'll start with our strategy section. First of all, uh, I know you play plenty of the NFBC for years. Um, you know, m- maybe you can tell us a little bit about you know when you started, how you get started, and uh, uh, who do you think the NFBC is uh, for today, and and how might somebody get into it? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, for me, the NFBC is. Basically, the Wall Street of fantasy baseball. It's like the stock market for players. And uh, having, a, having a financial background, it was always appealing to me. Uh, I, I think it's pretty much for everybody, especially today. If you look at the price points that they have, and there's ways to earn entry fees into higher stake leagues and all that. So I, I think it's, for me... Uh, looking at it, it's one of the purest ways to play in the fact that things we'll touch a little later in, though, but the fact that the draft is extremely important, the fab process is extremely It's You, you don't have that trade aspect, obviously. Right, right, right. So, so tell me, um, what is the biggest differences in gameplay that you've seen between the NFBC or high-money leagues versus a regular home league versus – maybe expert leagues even, that, that you've seen around the block? Well, the first thing would be, uh, I mean, regardless of the price, what kind of league is it? Is it an overall uh, where you still want to keep accumulating, say, saves and steals? Is it a satellite like or a home league where it's just you and, say, 11 other or 14 other people that are playing it where if you have 167 stolen bases and the next guy has 120, you really didn't need that, you know, that much of an advantage. As opposed to in an overall, you you want to keep accumulating that because you're competing up, say, 500 people just to make it an easy number. Where, you know, the home runs, you, you have to keep pounding those out. you got to keep getting saves. So that's, I mean, that's always the simplest thing, but the format really matters. And, uh, I mean, that's how I would approach it. I approach... Say in a super, I, I know you guys do the super at times. The super versus the main event is two different animals. I, I, I know players in high stakes that will always punt saves. Uh, do I recommend that? No, but you know that, that's an option. 
or there's other crazy strategies where guys go with runs and average and then load up on pitching. So you can be more, let's say, uh, experimental. I don't know if that's the right term, as opposed to in an overall where you have to have a solid, all-encompassing team. Ruvain, what what do you think has been the biggest differences in the gameplay between a home leagues that you know you've done or you and I have done, and versus some expert leagues and, and the NFBC high money leagues? Well, we've been in the same NFBC morning league on on a Friday morning in the auction league for the past couple of years, so we actually became friends with a lot of people there, and it's sort of like our home league at this point. Now, if you're going to jump around to different types of NFBC leagues then it's going to be a little bit different. Um, the idea is, is that it's not as laid back as a home league would be. Um, it's I think it's a lot like poker that if you don't see the dead money in the room, you're probably the dead money in the room. <laughs> um, you know, there are a lot of differences. If you're playing a home league, you're not going to get that. In a home league, everyone has a chance. It's, it's much more of a, it's a different drafting strategy. There are different um, ways to go about attacking fab. Um, and it's a lot harder than a home league. Obviously, home league, you know a lot of the players. And in an NFBC, unless you play every year, every year with the same players, you're not going to know who's who. You're not going to know who's who's changing their strategy or anything like that. So if you want to try the higher stakes and try your hand and you think you have the greatest idea in the world, then NFBC is the place to try it. If you want to try something out in a home league, you know what? You'll get flack from your friends, but you're not going to lose a lot of money. Yeah, so so Matt, um, what what kinds of preparatory materials are people in these high money leagues using? Um, are people doing a lot of projections? And if so, by the way, just just curious on your part, are people using the ATC projections more and more? I'd like to hear about that. Uh, or are people really just uh, doing it as whim? You know, they they study the players and they come with pen and paper. Uh, I know you do personally. Um, maybe you could talk about what you do and what you think is going on in the NFBC these days. Well, I mean, I think everybody has their own way of going about it. Certain people will do their own projections or standard uh, points gains. Uh, Other people will rely on an index of projections, say, you know, kind of like what you do at your ATC. And, like, that's, for me, uh, how I start out. I have in my head what I believe a player could be. I'm a little bit of a harsher grader. Uh, on on players, but and then I'll then I'll look at a couple of different projections and get the average of that to see if it's close and what I and in line what I think. I mean, as far as the ATC projections, you seem to be uh, you seem to be on all over the place now, would it? So yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people are using them. Would, would that be fair to say? I mean, you're on Fangraphs. Uh, don't you provide for like CBS or something? Yeah, so CBS, I, Roto Bowler, Roto yeah, Champ, so a lot of places. I, I I would assume that a lot of people are using the ATC projections. Uh, I, I think you have to do what's comfortable for you, but you have to have a basic understanding of what projections is. And I think Lucas Giolito is always the easiest guy to point out. You know, whatever it was three years ago, he was the worst pitcher in baseball. Uh, his ERA was, what, like six? Now, he, the last year and a half, he's a totally different pitcher. And I personally wouldn't go back to 2018 and put that in. I think with pitchers especially, you have to have some recency bias. And for me, like say 2019 and 2020 are going to weigh more heavily on, say, say past years. Because so Lucas Giolito 
was terrible. He's no longer terrible. He's, you know, from his injury. He, uh, I heard the interview on MLB Network. That's how he learned to throw his changeup. He never had a changeup. But from Tommy John surgery and just practicing on his rehab back, that's how he developed that pitch. You know, so you have to know, you know, you have to know that. That's just a, like a starting point for me. Our projections can be great. Uh, I don't swear by them at all. I like to have knowledge of them, plus what I've seen. Uh, Lindy Hinkleman, who was probably the, the greatest fantasy baseball player, he said when he basically paraphrased, when he stopped listening to everybody else and you know went off what he believed and what he saw, he became a better player, and you know nobody's got a resume like him. So, I mean, I, I think you can take a little bit of everything, but you need to have basic understanding of the projections, and I think you could probably give that even better than me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you mentioned a little bit about, uh, you know, the fact that a lot of these NFBC contests have an overall prize. Just for the listen- listeners who aren't that familiar, um, you know, when you play in a home league, it's your home league. You've got 12 teams and whoever's the top one wins. But for a lot of contests in the NFBC, and we talk sometimes about the expert league TGFBI in here, um, there might be a league of leagues. So you'll take 30 leagues that are standalone 15 teams in each but there's 30 of them and you do sort of a roto rank between them the most homer if there's 450 players there who's who's got the most homers gets 450 points the next most gets 449 points and all the way down to one and you rank players in between for an overall prize pool some of the money that you put up for the league goes to these these overall parts um, and you know there can be a big winner crowned in the main event there, you know some over a hundred thousand dollars hundred fifty thousand dollars is being handed to the winner, uh, which is incredible. Um, and the question is, what is different between playing in just a standalone league and playing in a league where there is both a standalone and an overall prize? You mentioned that you don't have to worry about killing a category because in one league, if you win by 30 stolen bases, it doesn't matter. But when you're comparing to some other people in other leagues, well, now you're in the middle of a roto standing. So that's one way. Uh, what else uh, do, do you find uh, both in draft and, and during the season? Uh, I, I think with the draft, you're, you don't have that, say, that pressure for speed. Like, I probably, unless I get a, unless I start with the Trey Turner or a Tatis or somebody in that first round that's going to steal a bunch of bases, I'm never going to be the top guy in a satellite league or a standalone league in in speed. It's it's just not my MO. I'll be more uh, cognizant about it and having to fill that in in an overall, for, for say. The same with saves. Uh, I'll definitely get a closer that I feel is one of those guys that has the job and the skills, which, which you know, there aren't many of those. And then, say... I'll start specking on a couple of, of, of other guys and throughout the year try and nail another half a closure in fab or something like that. So in that aspect, maybe that's a different tendency where it's not so much on you because, you know, I'm not I'm competing against, like I said, 14 other, 11 other people, whatever it may be. And as you guys said with your, the 9 a.m. auction, that I'll be a first-timer there. I, you know, I always do the auctions in New York, but I've never done the 9 a.m., but, uh, 
you get a feel in some of these leagues. They become like home leagues. You know certain players are never going to either bid on a bid on a closer or someone so you you know that's just their MO. They're going to go heavy pitching, I mean heavy starting pitching and just load it up that way, take the zero in saves and try and beat you in all the other categories. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned uh, you know the fact that uh, you want to be a little bit more balanced, or you have to be more sensitive to being balanced in an, in an, where there's an overall component. Um, whereas if you're in a standalone, it's more value, value, value. You could have a little bit less focus on that. Um, Ruvain, um, w- what are some of the other things that you've seen? You, you finished second in the TGFBI uh, two years ago, uh, so you, you're certainly uh, familiar with overall competitions and doing well in them. Uh, w- what for you is, is different? I think you have to be more aggress- aggressive in dr- in picking rookies and picking prospects and getting guys returning from injury if you want to go for the overall prize. A couple years ago, we, me and you, Ara, we had a team. We actually finished eighth overall from, from all the auction leagues because we had Trey Turner sitting on our bench for three months. We were thinking, you know what? We're going to be aggressive. We're going to have this guy, and we're going to bet on him that he's going to come up, and he's going to help us exactly what we need, and he did, and we ended up finishing eighth overall that year. We, we won our league, and we finished eighth overall. So I think the main thing is that you have to decide what you want to do. If you want to just win the satellite league, perfectly fine. Go ahead, do whatever you got to do to win that league. But if you want to try to be more aggressive and you want to win the overall, then you have to put more capital into rookies. You have to put more capital into prospects that are not up yet, but you think are going to get there. And you also have to put more risk and more capital on injury guys because those are the guys who will win you the overall. Yeah. Matt, are you finding that in when you have the overall component, you're taking a little bit more risks, a little bit more upside players, you're taking chances, you're pushing certain things. Is that what you find? I think in general, I'll, I don't have a problem with risk. Uh, I understand, you know, going in, you know, say this profile might be somewhat risky, but the reward is there as well. And obviously, as the, as the stakes get higher, I'll be a lot, I'll be willing to take on a lot of risk if I'm doing $150 draft champions, as opposed to, you know, when you start doing a main event. You, as long as you have that foundation, then I think you can take on more risk as it goes. Or if, say, you take that, uh, I'm trying to use a guy, like a Kyle Tucker, who hasn't done it over a full season yet. If you draft a Kyle Tucker, you want that, you know, you want to have that foundation, which is tricky now, trying to get your pitching in there. But say you've got a Tucker, you want a Corey Seager, an Anthony Rendon type kind of guy that's going to balance it out with that average and, you know, that's been there before and, you know, has MVP caliber behind him as you're building. You don't want to take, I mean, you can, just hypothetically, which, which is possible, you go Kyle Tucker and Lewis Robert. Now you're just taking on all the risk. I mean, if it works, that's great. To the moon, but most likely, I don't know if both are working out. Put it that way: the, the odds are not have not been in, in your favor from uh, past. I'll say that. Yeah. So, want to talk a little about um, some of the differences between NFBC and, and home leagues, as far as some of the rules. Um, NFBC offers uh, no trading, no injured list, uh, limited seven man bench, 
lineups are set twice a week for hitters. So um, you set them on Monday. And just for the hitters, not the pitchers, you can switch them up on uh, uh, Friday. So let, let's go through some of these things and, and, and what you think that uh, differs and how it's different from the gameplay of the home league. So uh, let's start with a seven-man bench. Um, no, no injured list, right? Just a full there. Uh, what do you see as the biggest difference in, in how you run your game, uh, during the year? I think there's a, it makes it, you know, uh, cataclysmic difference as, you know, just having, you know, that seven man bench, it it changes everything. And and I, and I think it's awesome when I was just doing home leagues and I first got into the NFBC. I was like, what's, you know, I, maybe I wasn't a fan of it. And then you realize it, it just makes, like, when we, you guys were just talking about Trey Turner and holding him for three months. It's difficult with a seven-man bench. Like, say, if you, if you plant your flag on Trey Turner, which is fine, that leaves you with six bench spots. Now, you can't draft Trey Turner and two other rookies. You got Trey Turner... And you got to fill out your bench. Now, as you mentioned before, that there's, for the hitters, you can set the lineup twice a week. So you want to play those. You want to have guys that benefit matchups, like uh, left-hander, guys that crush lefties. If uh, that, on, on the weekend, you can put that guy in, he's facing two lefties. That's what you're looking at. I and mean, that's what you should be looking at. I'll, I'll say that. So I mean these the the limit there with the seven man bench the no I R uh, I L I almost said I R <laughs> excuse me no I L I think it makes a huge difference it's a huge importance and I I now love it right uh, Ruven your thoughts on on uh, how the roster seven man uh, bench and no I L uh, affect the difference well, in gameplay for the seven man bench you have to plan your bench before the draft starts you have to say okay, you know what, on my bench, I'm going to need one outfielder, I'm going to need one middle infielder, one corner infield, it doesn't always work out that way, and one guy who has multiple um, position eligibility. That way you have a very good balanced bench, you can throw in a rookie there if you want, you can throw in an injury guy who you want to hold on to for a little bit longer, you got cheap, that's perfectly fine. But the problem is, is that there's no injured list. If there's no injured list, you have to know when to cut the cord on players who are hurt. We made a bad mistake. We had Noah Syndergaard and we held on to him thinking we'd get a month out of him when he was that year that he, when he had his oblique issue. We thought we'd get a month out of him and we got nothing out of him. We got one start which was, you know, it, we, he, raced, he wasted a roster spot. He wasted a spot where we could have picked up another person that could have had re, at least replacement value for him and it threw off our whole season and we had basically no chance. Um, if that happens to a couple of your players, then you have to decide which one you want to cut first because if you keep them on your bench too long and you don't make up those stats, sometimes you can fall into a hole that you're not going to catch up in. Now, if you do a home league, I'm, I'm a commissioner for a home league, and what I've been doing is I actually have a five IL spot, only five spots for IL because of COVID, because of so many different issues that are going on that there are more people being put in these IL situations. So that nowadays you need it. So that's what makes NFBC that much harder to win. Um, I'm not really a fan of the, the way that the NFBC uh, constructs the roster. Um, uh, for me, I'd rather have a smaller bench and uh, some some IL slots uh, to take some luck out of it. I mean, uh, you know, if you have five injuries on your team and somebody just has one injury, 
you're at a disadvantage just from luck. I'd rather have skill play out. So to me, the IL at least lets you hold that player without making the roster decision. Um, obviously, it's a skill uh, to, to know how to use your roster and when to cut him. But uh, to me, I, I'm not a fan of that. And it makes it tougher. You have to cut players sooner because, you know, you just don't have the room. Now, you mentioned the Trey Turner we took. You know, that was a top prospect that we knew was going to play substantial time. There aren't that many that you know is going to hit the ground running. I mean, maybe Jared Kalenic this year you know is going to come up after a month or so, so he's worth it. I know Chris Bryant a couple of years ago did the same thing. But in general, um, I shy away from in the NFBC taking these rookies' prospects because it just takes up a very valuable roster slot. Um, you know, you also have to uh, be able to incorporate some of the multi-positional eligible players. Because you have a limited spot, having one of those uh, can, you're able to use them uh, more to help you and you don't, ha- you can get another pitcher. So one of the things that the limited seven-man bench deals with um, is you might want to put an extra hitter instead of another pitcher on your bench because you can get take use of the two two lineup changers a week, and you might have to cover some of the bases of whether someone gets hurt. If I had an IL slot, well, I can take an I would. I'm not going to say I'm going to flood my roster with my bench roster with uh, pitchers, but I would probably take an extra one. Um, question for you, Matt. Um, do you think how much more valuable are multi-eligible position players in this NFBC game? Uh, and should they be pushed up a little bit more in drafts? We had on Todd Zola earlier this year, and he made the case that it really isn't much of a value because you're not taking so much use of the, va- of the value. There's just so many people with multiplayer eligibility nowadays where in a uh, best ball format, you know, where it selects for you automatically the one who performed most, you're taking more advantage of it there, but not so much in the NFBC format. I, I disagree because I think that there's quite a bit of use in how you make your roster. Uh, uh, so that's a value in of it itself. Uh, wondering what you think about that. I mean, I kind of agree with Todd. I, I understand that having that uh, position flexibility, it, it, it is great, especially when you get injuries with no IL. But I'm never going to really pass up. I'm not, it, it, the, the, the player's got to be pretty even or close to even that of the guy that I think is better that has single eligibility. Because that's just maybe how I'm wired. Uh, it's not that I don't like it, but usually if a guy's like second base outfield, a lot of them you want to start at second base. You really don't want to start at outfield. If you got a catcher first base and he's catcher, you really don't want to put that catcher at first base. Now there's the guys like Andres Jimenez who has speed and his three different infield positions, or a guy I'm a big fan of, Chris Taylor, who's second short in outfield. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great, but I, I think it's, I want to have a plan to, before I go into the draft, on what I want my team to look like. And if I can get those guys, then great. If those guys, say, help me, like a Jimenez can help me with speed. Say I started off and I got everything else, but I'm a little light in speed. A guy like Jimenez, who, even if he starts in the minus for three weeks a month, I don't think he's staying down there long. They just gave up their franchise player for him. And they're going to need him. That's, uh, you know, it's not a great offense. So um, that's the way I look. I'm kind of more with Todd on that. In a draft champions, maybe so, because, you know, you have no in-season pickups, and if you get injuries, it helps you out. Um, you know, 
the pitchers are really very volatile. And in the NFBC, the groupthink is to take take an ace early. There's the pocket aces strategy where you take two aces in the first three rounds. And pitchers have just been very, very fickle. We know that the elite pitchers have been great. But, you know, nowadays, especially after the short season, who knows in terms of the volume, there's going to be less separation between pitchers. In terms of volume, there's going to be a lot more pitchers capped or uh, maybe a a skip start or maybe six-man rotations than you think. Shouldn't pitchers be a little bit less valuable? The question to me to you is, do you think that the NFBC is right, the players are right for pushing pitching so much as as they do? And being that it happens, right? Wh- why are we are you are you of the of the mindset that you should also be doing that? Or do you think that maybe you should zag and not really go for pitchers? Maybe take hitters your first three rounds? Or how would you play this this potential ability to uh, zig and zag while everybody else is zigging? Well, I think, at least for as long as I've been playing the NFC, NFBC, pitching has been pushed early. Not like it has this year. It's really uh, gone full steam ahead. Or even like, even ADPs that would move wouldn't move till like March. You know, like guys in the 10th round would maybe move up to the 8th round in March. That's happening in January and February. But pitching has always been pushed in the NFBC. And I, I think in that format... You kind of need that stud. I've always been on board with, I'm not saying I was getting two, but I would have one early on. You know, it didn't have to be the first, maybe the second, but, you know, within those first three rounds, four rounds, uh, by the fifth, I was walking out with two starters always. So, for me, this year, I agree. I, I agree on the fact of this statement, that they're all very risky because they all got, it, it was... A unique season. You know, who pitched 46 innings? Who pitched 62 innings? Who pitched 73? Uh, They had to start and stop spring training. So it's just a, yes, some guys are more risky than others. But I, I think in general this year. But I'll disagree and say, I think. The, I think the DeGrom and, say, the Coles, and even, I'll, I'll even put Bieber in there now, those guys are worth it. They're, they're worth that early pick. Yes, maybe DeGrom after throwing, you know, he, he was even better last year, and he hit 133 times. You know, maybe this is the year his arm blows off. I don't know. But the guy hasn't shown me, you know, even with all the injuries I keep seeing about, he keeps taking the ball every fifth day. He's, you know, he makes the starts every year. So... I'm, I'm not going to run away from that. I'm going to embrace his greatness. And the same with uh, Garrett Cole uh, as well. Cole's going to get that ball. He hasn't shown me something where, uh, like last year, he was out for a month because of his shoulder. No. So, and Bieber seems to, you know, have arrived. I mean, it was two months. You would have loved to have seen what happens over six. But I think you could see from the, the second half of 19 where he was coming uh, and how it, it played out for the two months. So I, I think making that commitment, now you're passing up some great hitters and all that speed, but you're getting that foundation there. You're getting that where, you know, I, I think you're going to need excess pitching upon pitching this year, and you're going to see a lot of injuries. So, you know, you, you, I, I think getting that foundation is, 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 is a leg up, put it that way. Yeah, 
I agree with you totally that uh, DeGrom and, and Cole are, are and uh, also you can make the case for Bieber, are, are very special. And there's a case to be made that DeGrom should be the number one overall pick. I'll say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but as far as uh, the draft champions I've done, and I've been pretty much been in every 400 one over the last month, DeGrom is pretty much going, it, he's definitely going in the top three, and if he's not one, he's two. Yeah, no, and and there's a there's a definite case for that. Uh, Ruben, what, what's your take on on all this uh, uh, pitching being pushed up so much, and should we do that? I think it was just a market correction. I think before the pitchers just weren't valued the way they are, the way they should have been. Um, I mean, pitching is fifty percent of the points. It's five by five, so it's fifty percent of the points, and they get the same amount of points. They can gain you the same amount of points that that a hitter, a five tool hitter, can or or a four tool hitter can get can get you the same amount of stats that a starting pitcher can get you. You can get four categories from them, so they should be just as valuable. And I think it was just a market correction where the pitchers before were under. Undervalued, and you know what? Because the market is doing that now, if you go away from that, you're going to end up with nothing. You're going to be shut out, and if you do that, you're you're really risking yourself to not get those points, and you're going to be hoping on these other players. You can listen if you want to do stars and scrubs, do it that way. That's perfectly fine, but you have to have those stars because those scrubs won't make up the rest of those points. Yeah, the answer is that it really doesn't matter what you think is the real answer as far as why pitching is being pushed up. It is. Uh, and you have to live with the fact that, and, you know, we mentioned this on last week's show, What what is the right hit, hitter versus pitcher split for the overall values that you get? And the answer is it's whatever the market does. If pitcher values are being pushed up that much and there's a higher percentage going from hitters to pitchers, then you have to do that too. I believe that if you do not take a pitcher in the first four rounds, then you are going to leave yourself very short of value in comparison to the rest of the field. You're not going to make up those $40 and $30 pitcher values that everyone's going to have when you're only starting with 20 and under dollar pitchers in the auction equivalent. So for that reason, I think it's important to take uh, at least a pitcher. And as my research has shown, the top eight pitchers on average uh, tend to earn a better return on investment than a lot of the middle rounds. So for that reason, you should take one. I do not think that you need to, you need to take two pitchers. I think that you can work the pocket aces strategy, but I don't think you need to. I think that uh, you're okay with taking a pitcher in the second round or in the fourth round or in the third round. Uh, you know, of value. I think you can work with it. You just have to be cognizant not to go so far below the hitter-pitcher split, and I think you can make it up with one. Uh, you don't have to pick the two. Uh, I, I think it's a mistake. I think there's a lot of great hitters that are really first-round values that are dipping to the middle of second-round value because pitching is being pushed up so much. Um, I'm okay with passing on, on those pitchers who are more riskier in my mind, and I'll go with the solid value of a hitter in the second round, and I'll pick my pitcher in the third round. I have no problem with doing that. It's whatever, it's whatever comes to you, really, in the draft, but I don't have to force it is my point here. Can I ask a question uh, real quick? Uh, no, no, say if you're starting, say, top you know, four pick or something like that, and you want to go with the hitter, which I'm totally fine with. And these are, you know, elite stats you're getting. You have to, before walking into that draft room, have your at least first few rounds mapped out and where you're getting your pitcher. After, say, if Fernando Tatis is your guy, or Juan Soto, whoever, and with the first pick, you're going there. What are you doing 2-3 and on that 4-5 
how are you walking away with pitching? Because uh, you're going to get speed from one of those guys, so you'll be in a good spot there. But if you don't have your pitching planned out, you're going to get run over. And, you know, maybe you could say, I'm going to zig and zag. I, I, I'm fine. If you have a plan. And sometimes it does work when you fade the market. But you better, you got to be right. You can't be wrong. And I, I don't think you have to have two pitchers in the first two rounds. Uh, but I, I would very much, like you say, with the splits, and I'd very much want to get one of that first two. Because even on the other side, if you're picking at the turn, and say you went Yellick and Bellinger, just two names, at 3-4, you better be committed that there's two guys that you like and that they're going to be there. So it, it just that's the approach. Like having that game plan set up in your mind or that roadmap already planned out before you get in there based on what players possibly are available for there and how you're going to yeah. audible if you have to. And- and that's that's a good point. So the the overall point that that you're making loud and clear is that, um, you know, we, we've decided here that we, you need to pick up some pitcher in the first four rounds. And if you don't pick a pitcher in the first one or two, you you need to have that plan. You're not you can't win this thing by walking out of the first four rounds without a pitcher, right? It, you just can't. So you need to plan it. And of course that of course self reinforces. And why are NFBC players pushing it even more? Because they're saying the same thing that you just said, Matt. Well, if I don't pick a pitcher now, even if he's probably not value-wise there, where am I getting my pitching? And so that self-enforces and pushes up pitcher, pitching even more. Uh, I, I think you have a little bit of that going on, don't you think? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I think there's people that, just in general, others are going to copy other uh, successful strategies, stuff like that as well. I, but I think it's the basic supply and demand First off, I don't think there's many aces. I think there's maybe like three pitchers in baseball that are really current aces right now. Uh, there's a lot of SP1s or, you know, like stud guys that are really good. Guys I, I would, you know, want to have uh, as my foundation. But I think we throw around the term ace like it's everybody's an ace just because you're an SP1. I mean, for me, say I had a, say my cutoff is uh, Woodruff or Castillo. And if I know their ADP is, say, 25, if I'm picking at two and I take Tatis and I know after 25 all the guys I like are gone, I either got to decide I'm going to load up on hitting or who am I pulling up? What pitcher am I pulling up? Is it Zach Gallen, for instance? Uh, You know, is it, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to say. I'm just trying to give some names. Yeah, you're yeah. Gonna, if you don't, if you're not asking those questions before entering it, and that's right. why when you have before the thirtieth pick, if if thirteen pitches are going to be off the board, who's your number fourteen? You feel comfortable with? Right, right. And you're making the case, of course, to say that Degrom. You might want to pick him number two overall because that solves that problem right away. You get to Grum, and then you'll have a better mix of hitters available at at the two three turn at the two three turn uh, if you pick to Grum. Right? It's it's about opportunity cost in the first round or so. If I don't pick this person, who am I going to get after? And because of the fact that to Grum is so much better than Zach Gallen that you'd have to push up all the way to the top of the third round. That's such a big difference in value. Uh, I think the difference between DeGrom and him is much, much, much lower, uh, is much greater than the difference between 
Tatis and let's say a Kyle Tucker. Uh, right in terms of expected production, you can get a lot of what Tatis is giving in Tucker. Obviously, not as good, but the difference between Degrom and the reliability in Gallon is so great that you might consider, from a game theory standpoint, go with Degrom as your as one of the top one, two, three picks, even right. Yeah, but just to like say you thought Degrom was too risky. Like some people think he's going to be thirty three. You know, they'd rather be a year too early. Then you know you could set your KDS where say if you know Bieber's going ninth for the most part, or you 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 set the first pick you want is five. You want it to be Bieber, or if Cole's your guy, if Cole's your guy, it's pretty much with the Grom. You 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 want to be one of the top picks, one or two, because those guys I think come March. I've seen it happen in, as the entry fees have gone up in, in the ones I played in. They go one two, so but now with a Bieber. If you really believe he's arrived and he's an ace, then set your KDS at five. So now you get a Shane Bieber who you think is an ace, and then you get the you pick five spots earlier in the second round as opposed to waiting to the thirtieth pick. You're picking twenty sixth. So that's the I'm just trying to put out there how you should be looking at it, or if you're comfortable now with ba- uh, Trevor Bauer with the Dodgers. Whatever it is, look at that and then build it from there. That's, that's I think, a winning strategy. But it doesn't have to be a, a pitcher. KDS, just for the audience, is Kentucky Derby style, where, uh, you know, in, in selecting, uh, you get the choice of where you are going to draft from, what slot, 1 through 15. Uh, what's, it's not randomized where you're going to pick from. It's randomized who gets the choice to pick first. If you're the first person randomly selected to choose, you can choose your draft spot. Uh, and what happens is everybody puts in a preference of 15 spots in order, and the first person who picks, they get their first choice. The next person, they get their top choice that's not selected, and so on and so forth. Uh, let's go to Ruvain on, on this first, since we're talking about it. Um, wh- what would be your preference as, as to how to pick KDS uh, very roughly in uh, upcoming 2021 drafts in the NFBC? Well, I think Matt nailed it. I, I happen to like uh, picks and KDFs like between four and eight. I think that's where the sweet spot is. I think that's where one of those top pitchers will fall to you. I like taking pitching in the first round. Uh, if one of those pitchers fall to me, then I, I'll take one of those pitchers. And if one of those pitchers don't fall to me in the fourth, four to eight, I'll still get one of the top three or four hitters. So I'd like that also. Um, I try to stay away from the wheel, either either wheel, more so the 14-15. I, I don't like that spot at all. Um, it's very hard to win there just because you have to plan so far ahead and you have to reach so many times when you're on that side of the wheel. When you're on the other side, one and two, that's great. You'll get great value in your one and two, but then you have to wait for everyone to come back and your whole strategy can sometimes go out the window because you don't know what's going to happen over the next 30 picks. Yeah, I, I like uh, the middle. Um, I think there's an advantage, not just for the first round, I think more towards the, the entire draft. Because uh, to me, I like to win the drafts by extracting value. And if you're picking at the wheel, you're going to have to guess at who's going to be there 30 picks later. And you might have to reach for somebody a little bit earlier if you really want them and your values say so. If you were picking in the middle, then you have to reach a little bit less, right? You have to reach a half around less. And you get more information if you're in the middle. If you're at the endpoints, you get one-time information, and you have to make two decisions off of the one information. Here you get two decisions off of two informations. I think it's easier to balance categories possibly at, at the endpoints. 
But in terms of extracting value, I like the middle. Uh, and especially this year, if I think that the, some of the pitching is going to fall to the middle, uh, I think it's a great place to be. Uh, what, what are your preferences for this year, Matt? Well, if I'm going to go with, uh, say, a Cole or DeGrom, then I want one or two. Or if, if I think they're both equal, then I would put two as my uh, as my KDS because then I, I, I have that foundation guy there, and then I can decide. If another pitcher fell that I didn't think was going to fall at that 2-3 turn, I'm like, you know what? This is a, this is a great start, and, and I get my top hitter. Or I can say, I got the cold, the grom. Let me get two hit uh, two really good hitters here, and then 4-5, I'll fill in another pitcher and another, you know, try and add some speed, whatever it may be. Uh, so... I do think if you're going to start hitter, the way it's been recently, now this might change over the next month, but if you're going to start hitter, that six to eight range has become a sweet spot because you're guaranteed, like Mookie Betts has fallen to eight. I've seen yeah, it like eight crazy, right? on, on multiple occasions. And that's like the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Mookie Betts, if he, I mean, he could be the 1-1 the guy this year. I wouldn't be shocked. So and he, he early on he was going like second overall I think when we first started with this or he was third at, at, at the worst, so he's going at eighth. But now you say you start with a Trey Turner, uh, if he gets you if you know you're banking writing in say thirty seven stolen bases for Trey Turner, and you got the seventh pick, let's just make it easy. Right there, you know you got a good lead in speed. He's going to provide average some pop. So now. You get to play, uh, you get to play it a little differently. You grab, say, that pitcher, and now you don't have to be so focused on just pounding on. You still want to get some speed and keep adding and adding on to that, but you're not like starting out with eight stolen bases in the first round. You got thirty-eight. You know that sets it up maybe a lot easier. But again, you know you probably want to nail that pitcher in the second round there. Unless you think those those values that you have aren't correct, and it's better to wait in third, but it, it, there's a difference of caliber between the second and the third round, and I I, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is great strategy uh, for, for everyone to hear. Uh, and this is exactly what you need to think about and consider when you pick your spot and when you make decisions as to your plan. Always have a plan. Uh, the, the worst thing you can do is is to have no plan. I'll see what they get me. No, uh, have a plan. Think about what's going to happen and know what your options are ahead of time. Um all right, we're going to switch gears and do a little bit of ATC player discussion. Today we're going to talk about outfielders. Uh, Matt, what we do here is we take the ATC projections and pit them against some of the NFBC values and see who rises a little bit to the top, who seems as perceived bargains. And then we don't just say, just take them because the ATC projections say so. We then discuss them and see if we agree with that. Uh, first guy up here, Anthony Santander. Uh, he's a guy that... Looks pretty solid going in the 11th round. Uh, good barrel rate, decent strikeout rate, great bat of ball tendencies. Should bat in the heart of lineup in a great ballpark. It's got a nice nice little track record the last two years in a row. Uh, according to the ATC volatility metrics, this is a low volatile guy. The interprojectional skew is nicely negative, so there's even upside to him. Other than stolen bases, I think he's a little bit of a cut above everybody else who's going at that time. He does have a similar profile 
to a lot of people uh, that are that are going around, but um, it seems like a low volatility play. Any interest in Anthony Santander for you this year, Matt? Uh, he's a guy I don't have, believe it or not. I do like him though. I I do like the uh, the profile, the the plate skills. He hits the ball in the air. It's he, you know his maxi V was was pretty nice last year as well. His batting average should be above uh, league average, which is always good. It's not like a guy that has power and is going to hurt you. So that's uh, that's something you need to consider. It's for me, for the most part, again, it's not all the time. I do volume. I don't play in one or two drafts for the year. Uh, one of the things I do like, I joke around, I call it my Sicilian strategy from like the Queen's Gambit, is I like to go outfield heavy. I'm a person that has no problem loading up on outfield early. I know some people swear they have to fill out their uh, they have to fill out their infield first and all that. To me, uh, I'm fun. I'll I'll figure it out. I have players that I want. I've I've done enough of these. I kind of know where the board's going to be. So, but I think Santander is. Somebody, you got to love his home park. You got to love the, uh, basically the whole American League East. So, yeah, I, I think he's a very solid play. One guy, like I said, I don't have that maybe I have some FOMO on. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with the, your words about the outfield that I think it is a little bit underappreciated. Um, I think Santander, though, for me, he, he's very similar to a lot of people who are going a little bit later. Also, in the 11th round, there's a lot of people I might want uh, otherwise. So he's probably not going to come up for me in a draft. In an auction, though, because he's going to be part of a big hot spot, as we say, uh, he's in the mix. And whoever falls cheapest is going to fall to me. So I do imagine him getting into some auctions where, you know, maybe the room doesn't want him that much, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of players that are going around the same time that that are interesting. Since you mentioned the word auction, real quick, uh, I, I'm going to have to dig in on this now that I'm definitely doing this uh, 9am auction. The one that we're in, of course. The one that you're in. I just Don't found take him. Don't take him. Don't take him. <laughs> I, I just found it amazing how many like $40 players there are this year. And it's not like they're like $41. They're like $45 and up. It's it's pretty nuts. I, at least I thought from uh, looking at it the other day. Are you saying that you disagree with the room that there's no need to be that amount of money? I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to make, uh, make for a great time, put it that way. Uh, likewise, um, uh, just uh, stay out of our way in the, uh, in the auction. All right. Um, uh, Ruben, any thoughts on Santander? Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw some numbers out there. First of all, he missed three weeks last year with an oblique injury, and he came to camp late due to COVID issues. He's a Rule 5 pick, so he wasn't really thought to do anything, but he's a number three hitter right now in Baltimore. Um, his his Babbitt was only 248, which was kind of middle of the road, nothing to be, you know, nothing to write home about. And I think the main difference is that he's hitting more fly balls, hitting the ball more in the air, and he plays in Baltimore. I think that's the main difference. Now, he did play 37 games last year. In 37 games, he had 11 home runs and 32 RBIs. There's another player out there who in 47 games hit 13 home runs and 37 RBIs, and that's Juan Soto. Now, I'm not comparing them. I'm not comparing them, but I'm comparing them because if you look at the same type of games, the same game amount that they played, he seems to be a good value at where he is. Yeah, uh, like I said, the the ATC interprojection volatility low, 
the skew is negative, which means he's got upside, and, and it's actually a rather high uh, negative skew. Um, and his he's pretty balanced around the categories. I, I, I mean, to me, there's only upside, not downside. I, I think that you won't be disappointed with the value. Uh, you, with, with him, you're either going to get a walk, a single, or, or a double, or you can, could get a triple. You never know. Um, I want to go to uh, A.J. Pollock right now. A.J. Pollock is somebody who has earned $40 in rotisserie. He did that in 2015. Um, he Now, he, he had the big stolen bases, which are gone now. A lot of his past profile is gone. He's a different player. But still highly valuable. We're talking about a 13th-round play for a guy who last year hit 16 homers in the short season, which is a 43-homer pace, hit 276. Um, Scaled-up numbers would be 80 runs and 92 RBIs. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of a good profile to have. The question I think is more health. Uh, let's go to Ruvain first. What are your thoughts on Pollock? And I think of AJ Pollock. I think of having him as a keeper back in the day when he slid into home plate in the last game of spring training and broke his ankle and was out the entire year. That's the one, that's the AJ Pollock that I'm thinking about. He's played nine full years of his in his, in his career so far, and only three of them he's played more than 110 games. Now that's crazy. He's 33. He's known for his speed. He's only had he only had two stolen bases last year and 20 stolen bases over the last three years. So if you're getting him for speed. I wouldn't bend on it. And he was on pace, like you mentioned, for all those for all those home runs. His home run to fly by rate was 26.2 last year. That's not sustainable, Not at least not for him, not for his profile prior to last year. So I am not buying him. Matt? I, I actually like him. Uh, I, I get what you're saying about the injuries in the past and the speed, but for where he's going, uh, I think he's a guy – that he's getting paid by the Dodgers. I know the Dodgers have money. They could eat it and all that. And you're right about the suspect injury health. <laughs> as much as I've uh, been a fan of this guy, I, you know, you watch him get hurt all the time. But I, I think this is this is a solid player that, that has pop. He's, he will get you some, you know, stolen bases. He's on a really good team. So I, it depends for if you're filling him in in your in, in, in your outfield, I wouldn't want him to be my top three outfielder. But you know, for my four or five, yeah, I'm I'm definitely down with that. Yeah, he's very balanced category wise. I mean, projections range anywhere from about five to eleven steals. Um, so he's gonna get you the the half dozen and maybe even a dozen if you're lucky. I doubt that. Uh, but you know, you combine everything and his intra projectional standard deviation. Is only point twenty five, which is really, really low. There's very little difference categorical. So he doesn't. He's not gonna hurt you categorically. Like you can stick him him in with any kind of profile you have already, and he'll do good. Um, it's it's health. I mean, he he was a twenty four dollar player last year. A twenty four dollar player. He's going for a six dollar value now in the thirteenth round. Right. Uh, I think there is more upside than you think. He doesn't even have to play a full season to make his up his value. Right. If he plays the start of the season, plays half at that value, you're going to earn it. And then you can get a replacement player off the waiver wire for the second half. So I I, kind of like it here. Um, I don't love it. Uh, I don't love it. He's not a must get for me, but I think that it's an option worth worth considering 100 percent. Um, Cole Calhoun is our next player, and that brings us to the Injury Guys Trivia of the Week. So 
we're going to be talking about Cole Calhoun now. Cole Calhoun is actually one of the answers to the trivia question, but in 2020, only four players had 15 or more home runs and 40 or more RBIs. Cole Calhoun is one of them. Who are the other three? 15 homers. More, 15 or more homers, 40 or more RBIs from last year. Outfield. 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 Mookie Betts? Nope. No? Nope. Oh, Ozuna. Marcelo Ozuna has got to be there. Marcelo Ozuna, who qualified in the outfield, is one. That's correct. I was going to say Rosario, but I think he had 13, so he would Okay, you're forgetting about Mr. Trout. Mike Trout is good like that. Um, And the fourth one, neither of you are going to get. It's Will Myers. Will Myers uh-huh. qualified in the outfield and had more than 15 That's homers right. and 40 RBIs because he was part of Slam Diego last year. Yes, he hit all. They had so many RBIs. Everyone was on base. Now we're going to talk about Cole Calhoun. He was on pace last year for 33 homers and 74 RBIs. That is crazy more. good. More, His, more. Actually, I'm sorry. More upper 30s, upper 30s, 80 in the 80s. I'm sorry. Um, that's for the 226 batting average. You know what? I'll live with the batting average because his batting last year was only 211. I think that may improve a little bit. His home run to fly ball rate was a little bit on the high side, which is not that sustainable. So I expect him maybe in the high 20s, low 30s for home runs. And right now, roster resources has him batting leadoff. I, I mean, other than uh, the scale numbers are higher, Ruben. I think he's on pace for uh, 43 homers and 108 RBIs. Um, you know, he other than stolen bases, which he had, really had not many, and uh, a, a really poor batting average, the guy is was about as strong a three category player as you can imagine last year. Um, I mean, Cole Calhoun is one of the biggest bargains according to ATC. He's going in the 18th round. Imagine picking up a hundred RBIs in the 18th round. Now, ATC is not projecting that, but we're talking 82 runs, 77 RBIs in the 18th round. With a potential for 25, 30 homers, uh, it's it's just a great value for that late in the draft. Yeah, you're getting a 230 average, but that's 18th round. Um, it's There's not much upside he has to have um, from what we're projecting for him to be more than worth that value. He's a, a 4Z score contributor pretty much. Uh, in in an uh, in an OBP league, right? In an OBP league, he he has a f- fantastic walk rate. So if you're an OBP league, he's wonderful. Uh, and and even in a batting average league, he he's not an 18th rounder. He should be many rounds before then. Um, if he's available, then I'm scooping up, Matt. Uh, I'll agree with with you know with the I I did something say early on like in October when I was looking, and I was combining. Uh, I don't know if it was the second half or 2019 and and the sprint season. And he basically came out to, you know, with his stats is like the poor man's Cody Bellinger. But the question's going to be, as of right now, is is he batting leadoff all year? Uh, where is he moving in this lineup? What's happening with uh, Dalton Varsho, who's probably going to start in the minors? I have no problem with Calhoun, but I would look at him as that 225 to 235 hitter. Uh, Because even with the low Babbitt, he never really has had a high Babbitt of late, the last few years at least. And, you know, maybe like 240 is is the upside, 245. 
looking there. But I, I don't have a problem with him, say, late in an auction, you want that power guy. Because you're going to take on some ugly, ugly uh, guys at certain points of the draft for when you're chasing power. So in that instance, yes. But I, I think everybody needs to have realistic expectations. If I'm penciling him in for 235 with 20-plus homers and, you know, nice counting stats, then yes, he fits the bill. Yeah. Uh, and and you mentioned the, the thing, uh, leadoff. I mean, if he's the leadoff batter, those runs are going to be 80-90. Um, that, that makes a huge, huge difference. I, I um, would just caution on the roster resource – which they do a great job, but I, I wouldn't put it down as like the Bible right now, because you can see a lot of that change. Uh, no, of well, course. Well, uh, they they had Dalton Varsho lead off a lot, so if he stays up there, he may you know he may lead off as well. Yeah, I, I think he'll get a, a decent batting slot though. They're not putting him to eighth. Uh, Cole Calhoun. Uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm high on him. I not because I think he's a great player with upside. I just think it's a, it's a value. It's a value pick. Uh, let's talk about another guy. The uh, highest value, according to ATC, compared to the market, Mark Kana. Uh, he's also an 18th round player, but he does chip in a couple of steals. Um, he does have a little, a little bit more upside in, in terms of uh, the batting average than Cole Calhoun. Maybe not as much power, but you know he's going to bat somewhere in the middle of of the Oakland lineup. He should get a lot of run production, 70s runs in RBIs. Let's say uh, ATC has him projected for 22 homers. Um, you know we're talking about another guy who's available really late that is just going to give you stuff all across the board. Uh, projections are very stable, very low interprojectional standard deviation with the negative skew, very low interprojectional standard deviation because he does steal bases. Um, and in OBP league, he's even better. Um, again, I think he's similar in terms of Calhoun, in terms of the value per spot. And if there's a hot spot, 18th round, Cole Calhoun, Marcana going a couple picks within each other, whoever's available there, I think I scoop up. Matt? Uh, I, I think he's he's an all right guy. It's the same with, like, Calhoun. As long as these guys are, like, rounding out your outfield, I you know – they're your third outfielder. In the 18th round, though. 18th round, they're not. They're rounding out your outfield. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I'm, I'm just coming from that 30-round mentality of the NFBC. And that necessarily might not be the case. You know, if you round, if you filled out your infield and you got to take pitch starters and, and closers, I, I, I think Canner's a good player. Maybe he's a better real-life player than fantasy. If I, I want to say that, like, I, I, you know, you look at the RC plus the other, from 2019, which was like 147 and stuff. But what, what is he? Is that 240 hitter? He's a nice type guy. I see the projections. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure, you know, not the thing that I'm really chasing. I know, I know a lot of people like him. He's not a guy that really appeals too much to me. I'd rather take a shot on either going full power or chasing that speed guy at that point. Put it that way. Well, let me ask you. At that point in the draft, they're talking about the 18th round. Are you are you looking for upside players? Because the last two players I mentioned are not really upside players. They're just a good value. You're hitting a double. You know, you're, you're, you're doing I, something. I like them more in an auction than in a draft. Let me say that. Sure. Because, sure. you know, the, the way the money's going and how everything's there. Sure. Like I said, I'm going to be, for the most part, every draft is different and, you know, depending from where I'm picking and how I've mapped it out, 
I'm going to be pretty aggressive on my outfields. I think the outfield gives you, you know, gives you a little bit of everything. You know, you get that power, you get some speed. Some guys have the average. So I, I like to pretty much be done with my outfield by then, to, to be honest with you. But I understand what you're saying here. They're nice players, but they got to be guys rounding out like that, that fifth outfield spot. All right, really so your argument here is from a, construction, a roster construction perspective that in a snake draft, uh, you do not want to be in a position where your outfield is even available uh, from what you want to do. So for that reason, you're not taking him. Yeah, um, I don't think they're terrible players. Like I said, they have, yeah. they have roles. I'm yeah. just, they're not guys that I'm really uh, going after, put it that way. The guys I have been going after, I'm just coming for honestly. Right. No, no, I, I understood. Ruben, any thoughts on Connor? Yeah, it depends who you want in that spot. I mean, if, if you need to round out your outfield and you need power, Cole Calhoun's the guy. If you want someone to get you some stolen bases, Mark Cano was on pace last year for 15 homers and 10 stolen bases with close to 85 runs. He also is very durable. He played 59 games last year. He used to play first base. There's a possibility that if there's any injury, he can fill in at first base, maybe become first base eligible, eligible as well. Um, his home run to fly ball rate was only 7.9. That's kind of low. Now, he does play in Oakland, so that may play into it a bit, but I think that may go up a little bit. You may, have, you may be surprised with how much power you get. And again, he may be batting like in the top part of the order or in the middle part of the order, and he's someone to get. He will score you a lot of runs. He's not that sexy name out there, but he's the one who will actually give you a lot of counting stats where you need them. I think that people undervalue the run production stats, and when you get in the 18th round somebody who's going to score 70, 80 runs, 70, 80 RBIs, I think that that's that's undervalued. You know, um, a a lot of people will say, you know, 18th round, you got to go upside, upside, upside. Uh, To me, I'm happy with a huge, huge bargain in that round. I'm I'm not looking for upside in that round. I'm looking for either somebody with a lot of value or someone with little value, but upside. Uh, then once we pass the 20th round, a little bit more, I tilt but, towards the upside. But what are we talking about? Like a 23-round draft, a 30-round draft? You, you know, that plays into it as well. Yeah, I mean, look, what, um, you know, people listening to this show are playing in very different formats and, you know, trying to give some some general guidance as to as to what people can think of in the player. Obviously, your format really, really matters. You know, auction versus draft versus how many teams you're in. If you're in a 12-team league, you're not going to think of Mark Khanna. If you're in a 15-team league, you might. You know, it, it's, it, it's really dependent. I'm, we're just trying to give some guidance as to and some information. Oh, no, people, I was just asking the know. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the numbers I mention in this show, and I say this uh, from time to time, um, the numbers I give and the rounds I give is 15-team is 15, 15 NFBC-type uh, style leagues where we're talking 23 or 30 rounds if you include the bench. Um, but but that's, that's, that's pretty much it. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it does depend on the format 100%. Um, Next one, Ramiel Tapia. Um, rarely does ATC project a stolen base bargain uh, ever. Um, and t- for a guy who ATC is projecting a 17 stolen base for, to be a couple dollars bargain, a round or two or three bargain, uh, is, is pretty incredible. 17th round, it's a guy who can have 17 stolen bases, a high average. Uh, now, he has been having a lucky BABIP, so I don't think that the 320 mark is anything close that, that he hit last year. Uh, we're talking a guy who's maybe around 280. Um, 
the problem with him is he's a very, very low output. But, you know, with all said and done, you're getting some steals. You're getting a nice amount of steals. You're getting some runs. Um, you're getting a good average. It's a it's a it's a, a profile that can fit and help balance out a roster at a value for what at a bargain for what his value says it is, at a decently late enough option. Um, to me, he's somebody that you don't have to target, but you should be in mind that if he's available, he might fit your roster. Any thoughts on Tapia? No, I mean, like you said, he's playing cores, so that helps the average. It buoys the BABIP and all that. And in what, like uh, just under 900 plate appearances, he's uh, 13 homers, 25 stolen bases. Uh, don't believe any of the power, you know, a single-digit home run kind of guy. But, yeah, like you said, you're looking here where he's going. You're saying if you're light on speed and you want an outfielder, it's Ryan Tapia, it's Manny Margot. You just don't want to be saying these are the guys that are going to save me in stolen bases. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. where you get in trouble. That's true. Um, in an auction, um, you know, you, you, he, maybe he's a little bit better value. Maybe he slips, maybe not. Uh, I kind of think he might be a better value in a draft than an auction for some reason. Uh, because if he is going in an ADP of seven, 17th round, um, it's just a good, better value bargain. I think in an auction, people are going to overpay when they say, God, I need some steals late. Uh, so they'll have to spend a couple dollars over. So he might actually be a better value in a draft. Ruvain, thoughts? Yeah, well, he's the guy for stolen bases. Eight stolen bases in 51 games last year. He's going to bat leadoff. He almost has an assured spot in the outfield now that Ian Desmond has decided not to play this year. In the minors, when he was in the minors last couple of years, he averaged between 22 and 25 stolen bases per year. So he's not that 40 stolen base guy. He's had a decent batting average in the minors as well as the majors. So, you know, he's not going to kill you with that. He hits the ball on the ground 55% of the time. So he knows where his bread and butter is. He knows that he can beat out that infield hit. He knows that he's going to try to get hit those balls on the ground and try to get, you know, leg out a single, get stretch a single to a double, steal those bases. That's what he's on. The, that's what he's in the lineup for. Yeah. Last player, Aaron Hicks. Um, a question. Uh, let's go. Let's go to uh, Ruvain first. I mean, the question really is, is health with him. Well, Aaron Hicks himself said he never has really felt himself since the surgery. That is a red flag. Um, he had less power. He only had six homers in 54 games last year. His average was down. He's 32. His barrels were down. Launch angle down. Everything for him is trending down, and it doesn't look good. Um, I mean, on the Yankees, who would you rather play in the outfield? Are you going to play Brett Gardner or you play Aaron Hicks? I think they're splitting time. It's put a lot of time in, in all over the outfield, and I because I think they're going to. I think Clint Frazier, he was named the outf the, the left fielder already, so I think he's going to play. So I think Aaron Hicks and 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 uh, Brett Gardner are going to split time. I think he's not going to have that many at bats, and I don't think they're going to be that productive. All right, Matt. Yeah, no, uh, I I think that was an excellent breakdown. This was a player that when he got to the Yankees really lived up to it, but he hasn't, you know, he's had an injury history, and I don't think he's been that same guy since, as was previously stated. I agree with everything he said, and I'm not even buying that he's batting third or he's going to stay healthy. I think uh, Gleyber Torres eventually ends up in that third spot. I, I think Torres, I, I, I know it's right heavy, but that's the Yankees anyway, but between Judge Stanton with, with uh, LeMayu up top, and forget, everybody forgets, Torres is, what, 24 years old? The, this kid's a baby. I think he's one of the best bargains out there right now going in the fifth round. 
uh, with, with a kid with a ton of upside that if he stays healthy and the Yankees are healthy, I mean, 30, 90, 90 are pretty much uh, lock for uh, him, would it say a 275 average? For uh, Gliber? Yes, for uh, Gliber. Yes. So I'm, I'm not, as, as much as I liked uh, Hicks in the past and stuff, he's really not a guy that I'm even, uh, is, is even on my radar. Maybe that's wrong because if he is fully healthy and he does bat third, then I'll look foolish. But look, you got to be willing to be out on certain guys. You can't like everybody. Yeah. Now I, I heed uh, Ruvain's uh, thoughts uh, on the injury. Uh, the 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 run product the runs are really was his big selling point. Batting on the Yankees, great spot in the lineup. If he's not going to be able to do that, and it seems that the Yankees have other options instead of going with this thirty-one-year-old guy who might split time, um, you're going to lose that counting production. Um, I I I don't love that spot here. Projections though are are fairly decent on him. Twenty homers, eight stolen bases. 76 runs. Um, his interprojectional volatility skews really nicely. Very negative uh, skewed and uh, very low standard deviation. So projections are all in agreement, which is usually a player I'd say is interesting. Uh, but uh, I, I heed some of the warnings, and um, maybe I think that the projections are wrong, or at least too optimistic. Um, maybe not in the skills, but in the playing time. Um, you know, we're projecting 450 at bats for for ATC. Uh, could could be much. And again, health. You never know. He might be injured and out for some more time. Who knows? All right. So uh, we have uh, one uh, mailbag question. Uh, let's go to Matt first. Thoughts on Willie Cal? This is from Zach. asks Thoughts on Willie Cat Calhoun? He was flat out terrible, and now there is some, some competition. Granted, Dahl will likely get hurt. But what's the likelihood that Calhoun can get back to 2019? Matt? Uh, I think if you believed in the guy in 2019, uh, I'd believe in him again. Uh, just looking, you know, he played only, what, like less than half a year or just about last year. And I, I think the play skills were pretty much similar and stuff. If, if you got, like, an injury or you had COVID or something – it just skewed your whole split season. You didn't have time to come back, or maybe you rushed. So if you liked Calhoun then, I, I think the the Rangers are going to give this kid every opportunity uh, to see what they have in him. He's, I think, about 26 right now. Yep, yep. So it's next, you know, they got to make a decision going forward. This is a team looking for the future. Is Calhoun a part of their future? Uh, David Dahl's what, like a uh, one-year deal, if I'm correct. So I, I don't have a problem with, you know, a guy like Willie Calhoun. I I think he's got a good hit tool, you know. And it, it, 2020, yes, there were some real things. But one thing I, I, I won't do neither with guys, I'll never extrapolate what they did in two months over like six months. Some of these pitchers that were good for two months – you know, you would have seen that correction come in the months, you know, three and four or four and five. So if you believed in the guy then and the skills looked pretty much what they were prior, just the output wasn't there and there wasn't full health, then I'd reinvest. And most of the time, it's at a cheaper price. Like if you liked Austin Meadows going into last year, I think you should like him now, right? I mean, he had a horrible year, but the kid, the kid was never healthy. He's coming into camp healthy, in shape, so and he's still young. 
So that's that's how I look at it. Maybe it's wrong. That's what I'm going off of. I see that certain things were real, but for the most part, as long as you know there wasn't a debilitating injury and the guy's not coming back this year or he's going to be starting later, I'm I'm in on that player. Yep, moving. Well, Will Calhoun is the epitome of bad luck. Last year, coming into spring training, the first spring training back in March, he had a hip injury. Then he got hit, remember, he got hit in the face with that pitch and he had a fractured jaw. He had a whole issue dealing with that. And then after that, he had another injury. He he, he just was very, very, very unlucky last year. Um, I don't think we ever saw the real um, Willie Calhoun last year. He was extremely unlucky as well. He only His bat was 217, so he was extremely unlucky. Um, he's eligible at DH, um, which in Texas is kind of interesting because they have Chris Davis there. Is he going to lose time to Chris Davis in, in, in as a DH? Is he going to play the alpha because David Dahl's hurt? Um, is Joey Gallo going to move to first base a little bit maybe to rest him and 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 move and have Willie Calhoun play the outfield? There are a lot of different um, paths to playing time for Willie Calhoun. And if you throw out last year, like a lot of people are because of the short season, because of the injuries, then he's definitely a guy with upside. Yeah, Um the thing is that the you know he's going right now towards the end of draft. He's going in the uh, the twenty sixth round in a fifteen teamer, and the profile is another two two forty seven, uh, twenty five to thirty homer guy. That that's really what he is. There are so many of those around. Um, I don't see the forty homer on up, up, upside. I see the upside as being twenty five to thirty homers, and there are a lot of guys in the draft that have the same profile. So I don't find him as interesting for my roster. He's more of a, a waiver wire guy for me that my guy gets hurt, I need to fill in a profile, I pick him up. I think that there are other guys on the waiver wire or close to the end of draft who have that profile. So for me, he's just not as interesting as some of the others. And um, I'm not convinced that he's he's going to have that jump. Um, yes, throw out what he did last year, 100%. Um, but, you know, if you do that, his, his Rangers are still uh, very, very enormous. Um, I have projections that have him almost at 10 homers, and I have projections that have him at, at 30 homers that I see. Uh, so there's a wide range of, of what he can do, I think. Um, so I, I'm not thrilled with taking him. Uh, I, I don't think I'm going to have him on my squads. I can definitely see him as... Maybe a last pick if I somehow needed that profile on my team. Uh, but more likely, I, I probably won't have him. I'll, I'll take a stab elsewhere. All right. Well, this was a fantastic show, Matt. We covered a lot of topics, a lot of thinking through strategy. Like the way you talk is how to think through things and the point, the counterpoint, and what are you going to do here and the plan. And uh, just really great to talk with you about some of that today. So thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank to both of you guys for having me on. Uh it was very enjoyable. I do like the outfield, as we talked about, because outside of Pollock, I don't really have any of them. Uh, I think some of them are useful, I, especially uh, Santander. I do like him. He's maybe the FOMO guy I have right now. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell everybody where uh, we can see some of what uh, Matt Modica is doing, follow you, and uh, all things Matt. Uh, at CTM Baseball. Uh, Charlie Thomas Michael Baseball. CTM Baseball is where I'm at on Twitter. You want to take a look? Come on by. All right, Ruvain, why don't you plug yourself? 
You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates. They're coming fast and furious now. Now that spring training has started, pitchers and catchers, we're getting a lot of updates on pitchers. I tweet them out on a daily basis. Also, you can catch my in-season weekly article at Rotoballer. All right. My name's Ariel Cohen. Uh, you can read my work over at Fangraphs, at Sportsline, at Rotoballer, and the ATC projections are on all those sites. Uh, to do that, follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to us right here. We're going to have a couple of extra episodes uh, coming out in the next couple of weeks to get you ready for the draft season. So stay tuned um, and uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Beat underscore Shift underscore Pod. Once again, thank you to Matt Modica for coming on the show tonight and from all of us here at Beat the Shift. Have a great fantasy season. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore Shift underscore pod.